Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of June 24th, 2019. On the show today, Jim talks about the outside events that caused Epcot to change back in the mid-1980s and what it means for the next round of changes in Future World. Plus, we do the news. And speaking of Jim, let's bring in the man who says that if you donate a kidney, everyone thinks you're a hero, but donate three kidneys and people start asking all kinds of questions. What, Mr. Jim Hill? Jim, how's it going? Thanks for bringing that up, Lennon. Technically, the last donation wasn't actually kidney. It was just kidney-shaped. And uh, from what the hospital's been telling me, I'm, I'm actually going to need that back. <laughs> it's all a misunderstanding. Yeah. Mind you, they've cobbled together a temporary replacement made mostly out of bounty paper towels and fabric softeners. That's why whenever I use the bathroom these days, it, it smells springtime fresh. <laughs> Plus, Bounty is a, wasn't Bounty the, uh, the sponsor of Lights Motor Action? Okay, so we're, so we're making it work from a corporate synergy point of view. Seriously, <laughs> I'm going to need that organ back. So if you're listening, Charlene from East Lansing, Michigan, I'd really <laughs> appreciate it if you could pop that in the mail. <laughs> Cover it nice before you send it. <laughs> there you go. All right, Jim, before we get started, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, What to Do with Twins? Shannon F. and Milst1, and the longtime subscribers Cool Al, C. Pope, and Kim Lee. Did you know, Jim, that these folks were the puppet masters for Epcot's glorious, glorious tapestry of Nations Parade, which ran from 1999 to 2001? I was not aware of that. Wow. I believe Shannon and Al uh, share co-writing credit on the soundtrack for the Hey Na, Hey 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 Na lyrics. Um, that was them. I'm like 90% sure. They clearly put a lot of thought into the lyrics. It's things like this that make American the American songbook what it is today. Which is a pamphlet. <laughs> it's a pamphlet. <laughs> Listen to you. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do the news. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. Jim, our listeners are familiar with the and then something goes wrong plot of many Disney rides, like Big Thunder Mountain and Tower of Terror, right? Yep. Well, apparently something did go wrong last week with Primeval World over at Dinoland at Disney's Animal Kingdom because it shut down around June 14th with no advance warning and hasn't been running since. In fact, if you look at fast pass availability for the ride, nothing at all is open from now until August 24th, 2019. This sounds some sort like sort of a some sort of structural or safety thing got found in an inspection and needs to be fixed. Jim, do you know anything more about this? With this particular attraction, uh, Chester and Hester's Dinorama, it's it's had kind of a troubled past. I mean, back in November of 2007, Karen Price, who was a 63-year-old uh, Walt Disney World cast member, was working the unload load area and. She was struck by a ride vehicle as it moved to the station, and she died five days later as a direct result of her injuries. And then mm. March of 2011, Russell Roscoe suffered a head injury while Primeval World was undergoing maintenance, and he was airlifted to Orlando Regional Medical Center, but he too died of his injuries uh, the following day. So... On the heels of these two incidents, there were official investigations, not to mention fines. I mean, just the investigation of Karen Price's death resulted in Disney being hit with $21,000 in fines. So 
when it comes to anything involving safety in primeval world these days, Disney Parks and Resorts moves with an abundance of caution. Sure. You'd expect that, sure. Okay. And from what I heard, it was during a pre-morning safety walk of the track, this classic carny ride, cast member came across something that concerned them, so they immediately reported it to Ops, and this ride opened back in March of 2002. Back then, the complaint was that it's a carny ride. It's, it, it's basically an off-the-shelf I think the proper definition for it is a wild mouse. So you'd figure, off the shelf, not going to be a problem getting replacement parts. Sure. Revershawn Industries, the France-based company that built Primeval World for Disney, filed for bankruptcy back in September of 2008. Ooh, like 10 years ago? Yeah. So spare, spare parts now are get, getting like getting uh, spare parts for a DeLorean? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Actually, DeLorean's still in business and making cars. Not the best analogy, but you guys know what I mean. Realistically, what's happened here, it isn't a major safety issue, but just finding an outside vendor that can create the outside parts, that's why we're looking at an August 24th return. Okay, okay. So they found something. It's not like they can call up somebody and say, hey, FedEx this to me. There you go. Tomorrow, I need this part. Even if they could say it in French, that wouldn't do them any good. To be honest, if they had access to the DeLorean, this would be so much easier. <laughs> Time travel. There we go. All right. Well, so we'll see what happens. So it looks like, yeah, so at least another uh, two months it might be uh, might be down. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. All right, Jim. Uh, also, uh, Walt Disney World announced another set of price hikes last week for everything from resort parking to tickets to the dining plan. Mm-hmm. This wasn't a surprise either since we've been saying for a while that Disney was likely to raise prices again in 2019 right before, right after Rise of the Resistance opens. But here are the details. Overnight parking went up $2 at the Value Resorts to $15, and a buck each at the Moderates and Deluxes, $20 and $25 respectively. Mm-hmm. Also, the, uh, the the more surprising news for me was that the how much the annual passes went up. Did you see this? Yeah. So a Platinum Plus Pass mm-hmm. is now $1,219, a 23% increase since October of last year. The regular Platinum Pass is $1,119, a 25% increase. The gold pass went up 15% to $699. And the silver pass, that sounds like some combination of like multivitamin for old people and like a, or like a silver <laughs> alert thing that like they, they took the vitamins in and now they're lost. Like here's their, anyway, $519 up from four, 479. So about a, uh, I've fallen and there. I can't find my annual pass. I can't get up for the Festival of the Lion King show. There you go. The unusual thing for me about this price increase, besides the the amounts that they went up, mm-hmm. was the fact that it comes during a summer in which Disney's rolling out all kinds of other ticket discounts, right? So Disney just announced a summer splash water park pass, good for every day from July 5th to September 7th of 2019. It's exactly the same cost as a one-day ticket. So it's basically buy one ticket, come back as many times as you want. Mm-hmm between July 5th and September 7th. And they also announced a bring a friend annual pass promotion. Did you see this? Yeah. Very unusual. Yeah. Do you suppose that's part of lessen the sting? Yes, we just nicked you for $200 more. But, but bring a friend. Yeah, but, but your friend is going to get a fantastic deal. There you go. It's like saying if you pay a cover charge to get into a bar, your your cute friend's drinks are all free. Mm. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. Mm. Anyway, the uh, the bring a friend deal is for gold, platinum, platinum plus, and premier pass holders. You can get a one-day park hopper ticket for $89 plus tax. You can buy up to the six of them. You have to buy them on the day that you want to use them. Uh, and it's available through August 8th. You have to do it at a theme park window, but still 89 bucks for park hopper. Mm. 
not bad at all. No. Bad. So would you say that these AP increases are uh, primarily Disney pricing in the appeal of Galaxy's Edge to locals, Jim? If that is the case, why then, when they jumped the prices, did you notice that of the price jumps, the one that got the lowest jump was the Florida Resident Pass. Yeah, it also has the most blockout days, right? This is true, but I just can't get past the optics here. I mean, I, I get the whole idea of the theory that if you rip the bandage off quickly, it's less painful, but to raise annual passes and the parking fee, and then to go with, did you see where they actually bumped up the price of the reusable Disney shopping bags? Yeah, by a buck, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, but in a summer where already... You've got outfits like Forbes doing stories about, is Disney too expensive? And when you, you have people coming out of Galaxy's Edge singing the praises of Savvy's Workshop and the Droid Depot, yep. but also playing up the fact that it's $200 to get a hand-built lightsaber, or it's $99 to build a droid an additional 14 if you wanted to have a personality and yeah i mean that's that's one of the uh, that's one of the big complaints i had i did an interview with a it's coming up with a newspaper mm -hmm. one of the things that i said to you i had mixed feelings about the land and it was that the things that i thought were the best were either free or two hundred dollars mm -hmm. it was either the character greetings which you know which, which were pretty good or it was the two hundred dollar like to be experience i'm like it shouldn't be that way, right? It shouldn't. It shouldn't be that the rides are the least good thing in the land, mm -hmm. and they cost this much more more money to do. It's well. Did you see what Carly posted on Instagram? She had some wonderful insights about that. She got back into the park to revisit Galaxy's. They Edge. let her back in the park. Yep, probably a ladder over back fence line. I say her her disguise game is is way better than I thought. All right, but she was All talking right. about the fact that her concern really about the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and she made this very interesting observation when it came from the Walt Disney World version versus the Disneyland version. It's like, if you take into account that Disneyland is the world's most famous regional theme park and the number of locals that go back, there will be people who will get really good at flying the Money and Falcon. They will go there with their friends. They'll figure out how to do it. They'll have amazing missions. Whereas with the Walt Disney World demographic, the notion that, you know, people save for a lifetime and then come here on a once-in-a-lifetime family trip or a once-every-five or once-every-ten years, mm -hmm. to have something like Smuggler's Run, where it's like you get one shot at doing it right, and God help you, if it's not just you and your family members or you and your friends, you're, you're stuck together with people you don't yeah. know, and it, it, it all goes badly... Yeah, my, my first ride on uh, Galaxy's Edge was with uh, a couple of, uh, you know, eight-year-olds as pilots. Mm -hmm. And I would be upset if this was my, you know, once-in-a-lifetime trip to to Walt Disney World. And, uh, and, and that was the experience that I got. She, I think, is the one who put this together. Remember how the whole notion of your reputation was going to follow you around? Yeah, yeah in this case, it's the reputation of uh, two, two eight-year-olds that I was paired with <laughs> randomly. Okay. Great. The only place that this is going to be possible is Walt Disney World, thanks to the Magic Band. Yep. And you have the situation where, because of the setup of the park and that sort of thing, how are you going to build experience points when you're only going there once every five years or once every ten years? Oh, they, they'll remember, I'm sure, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I enjoyed Carly's take on this. It really definitely kind of an eye opener about you know where I'll we're have to go back and read it. It's a it's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Related to this, Jim, uh and this is for our listeners, mm -hmm. remember that the uh the other shoe left to drop this year mm -hmm. in Walt Disney World is a set of changes to the fast pass system. So word on the street is that it'll be 
there'll still be a free FastPass option like there is today, mm -hmm. but some of that existing FastPass inventory will move to some sort of paid system, similar to the one in use at Disneyland Paris. So it'll be slightly harder to get free fast passes for popular rides, but plenty of availability if you want to pay for them. Again, all rumors to this point. Mm. And send us a note on Twitter if you all would like to hear more about how this is uh, supposed to work. Jim, speaking of Galaxy's Edge, it's looking more and more likely that Walt Disney World will use a virtual queuing system for Galaxy's Edge, like the one that started today in Disneyland. Mm -hmm familiar with how this works? I'm still wrapping my head around it, but yeah, especially on the heels of the book a hotel room, call in advance, you know, that sort of thing. Right. So it'll all be based on the app, mm -hmm. the My Disney Experience app, or in Disneyland's case, the Disneyland's app. You open up the app, it'll tell you whether the land is open for everyone or whether it requires a virtual reservation. If it does, uh, there'll be a, a button that says something like join a boarding group to get in line. You'll need to link the tickets that you have in the app and indicate everybody in your group that wants to, to join. So everyone that you're going with, which is kind of important because if you're traveling with a bunch of friends, it means you all need to be linked together, which is another bit of information that Disney can use. Then you're assigned a boarding group. I guess that gives you a time to go back. I don't know if you could pick the time or not. It sounds like the way it's going to work is you won't be able to pick the time. Yeah. They have been trying to be as fluid and reactive as yeah. they possibly can. So what we're talking about now could be changed you know, by the 20th oh, yeah, yeah. of the 26th. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. so you'll have two hours to uh, return to the land and start your visit. So if they say show up at one, you have till three o'clock to do it. But the interesting, other interesting thing for me on this is they'll tell you which specific entrance to use to go in. There we go. Uh, so that's also going to help with some of the traffic patterns. Once you get there, you'll scan a barcode on your phone or on your ticket which will allow you in. And finally, if, you, uh, if you're not using the My Disney Experience app or the Disneyland app, you can visit a FastPass distribution point where they'll also print out things for you. Now, if you're using a FastPass, my guess is that you will definitely not be able to pick the time that you get to, uh, to go in. Hmm. Also, did you notice that uh, you can now make same-day virtual reservations for Ogus Cantina and Sabi's Workshop? I'd heard about this, but there's a credit card LinkedIn, right. right. Yeah. So, uh, so because these things are in demand and they cost money, you'll be able to do same day reservations, same $10 cancellation fee per person mm -hmm. if you don't show up for the reservation, but you can make those through the Disney app starting at 7 a.m. on the day of. My guess is most of those things will be gone by 10 a.m. Yeah. That's a very good guess. One last uh, space related question, Jim. Disney's new space themed restaurant in Epcot is supposed to open this year. And I got a listener question on this. Do you have any idea when? Because reservations are already open for Topolino, which opens at Disney's Riviera mm. in December on December 16th. So you would think that if, if uh, the space restaurant was going to open this year, we would already see something on My Disney Experience. No? I've actually heard that they're shooting to do a soft opening between Thanksgiving and Christmas of this year with the idea okay. of then being able to open the restaurant officially the, the week between uh, Christmas and New Year's, which of course is when Epcot needs the most capacity. They're keeping it off of the reservation system for now because the fear is this is going to be be our guest too. Oh, people uh, get in and camp out. That's right, because because uh, not only will you have like some really impressive visuals. Mm -hmm in the restaurant, but isn't there supposed to be some sort of small show or something? That's actually the pushback that the ops people 
are getting right now. The, the fear wow. is that again, any reason to make people linger, and let's face it, the, the one difference between this and Be Our Guest is you can't get alcohol in the Magic Kingdom except at Be Our Guest, whereas you can go virtually anywhere in Epcot. Oh, you can now. It's, yeah. you, you can in lots of places, but before you couldn't when it opened. Right. right. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Okay, so if they open with the standard, let's project what the reservation is, and they guess wrong, it's Be Our Guest all over again. They have to right. do all those make goods that impacted the earnings of the wait staff because they weren't turning tables as quickly. Right. So they'd love to do a trial run of this off the system, you know, so literally sort of kick open the doors and then just sort of stand back and go, okay, we thought they'd sit at the table for an hour and 20 minutes and here they are an hour and 45 in. They just don't want to repeat the mistakes that they made, would be our guest. That's true, because if they're off if they're off by 10 minutes per table, yeah. you know, over the course of lunch and early dinner, because mm-hmm. I imagine it's going to open, you know, like at 11, 10.30 or 11 for mm-hmm. lunch and then just stay open while the entire park is open. Yeah. But I mean, that means they'll be off by two hours by the end of the night. That's that's bad. That's one entire you know, seating and change, right? Yeah, and, and yeah. also, well, you know, uh, 350 capacities, is, is, uh, that's what yeah. I'm hearing. Uh, how does that compare to, to beer guests? That's a good question. I don't know. I think Be Our Guest is slightly larger, but mm-hmm. I mean, they seem like they're both ballpark. Okay. That's at 350 guests is a lot. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of people. Yep. Just the fear is that, you know, again, this 250 foot long curved digital screen, it's like, how long are people going to hang in there? I don't think this uh, this proposed entertainment show mm-hmm. is either going to, it, it, it may not, it may not even make it for opening day. And if it does, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to, it's going to last unless it's like some sort of continuous thing like the, uh, like the Oompa band in, in Germany, but um, <laughs> well, you know, it's sort of like, can you, could you imagine by the way, being trapped on the international international space station with an Oompa band? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they give you a special medal for that when you get back. Think, I'm like, going for a spacewalk. Don't you need a suit? No, I'm going for a spacewalk. No, I'm, gonna, no. Like, <laughs> I'm going out for a pack of cigarettes. There we go. <laughs> I'll be back. <laughs> That's what people will be like. Yep. Don't you need your suit? No, I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> All right, folks. We're going to take a, a quick commercial break. When we get back, Jim is going to talk about why Epcot, almost immediately after Walt Disney World's second gate opened in October of 1992, was forced to step away from the Imagineers' original vision for this theme park and what it means for upcoming changes. We'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Jim. So uh, we know there's a ton of work being done right now in Future World in Epcot to make the entrance experience and the the central part of Future World more inviting, more organic, if you will, Mm -hmm. and more crowd-pleasing. And we know that some of the things that they're bringing in are like a beer garden. They're getting rid of fountains. It's it's one of the, the biggest makeovers we've seen in Epcot in a very long time, but it's not the first oh, no. No. makeover of Future World, is it? Why don't you tell us about that? Epcot was actually, Epcot Center, under the version that they viewed in October of, of 82, was actually the remaking of Walt Disney World. 
was sort of Disney's version of Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. Not just the people mm -hmm. who've already vacationed at Walt Disney World previously and gone to the Magic Kingdom, but also those folks that sort of held back that didn't think that Walt Disney World was terribly sophisticated or, you know, that sort of thing. And here was this celebration of technology and, you know, the international community. And, you know, so it's like, all right, let's let's open this thing and we'll reinvent the resort. Disney was so certain that it was going to be a smash hit that they cut back on the number of movies that they were going to make in 1983 because it's like, we have a smash hit theme park. We don't have to worry about the studio side. So the entire year, Oof. 1983, Len, Disney only made three brand new movies. Three. Three. Three total. For the for the entire year. I hope they were good, Jim. I hope they were good. Uh, well, you know, we have Trench Coat <laughs> with Robert Hayes and Marco Kidder, which lasted in theaters 45 minutes. Isn't Robert Hayes the guy from Airplane? He is. He is. And, that's, and Margot Kidder from Superman. That's right. And that's why they hired the two of them. And they, they thought for sure at least their parents would come out for the movie. But no, didn't work out. Their parents were busy that weekend? There we go. <laughs> wow. Okay, I don't remember anything about this film. Was it a comedy? Margot Kidder played a mystery writer who went to Europe, who then found herself caught up in real-life espionage. It was, throughout this entire period, you have Disney looking at things like Romancing the Stone, and it's like, ooh, we should make one of those. Oh, so sort of like adventure. Yeah, adventure, romance, okay. and it missed got on it, all counts. And, and then same year, you had Something Wicked This Way Comes, based, of course, on the great Ray Bradbury book, but... Disney couldn't figure out, is this too scary? Is this not scary enough? And they ended up with a film that really just sort of kind of sits in the middle. And the one film that really sort of lasted out of this is Never Cry Wolf. But again, that's because this is Disney hired Carol Ballard, who had just done The Black Stallion, and which had taken home a, a number of Academy Awards and that sort of thing. January of 1984, Disney has to announce as they're releasing the financials for the uh, final quarter of 1983. They can't, to this day, figure out what happened, but attendance levels at Disney World actually dropped by 8% after they opened Epcot. Wow. And supposedly this was largely on the bad word of mouth about the park. So March of that year, Roy E. Disney quits the company in disgust. I mean, but that's largely because Roy always believed that they should have honored his uncle's original wish, which was to build a city of the future in the swamps of Florida rather than a theme park. So now, who enters during this same month, in fact, the March 29th, but the Reliance Financial Services Corporation, which is controlled by infamous green mailer Saul Steinberg, he sees Epcot's disappointing attendance numbers and thinks there's an opportunity. So he turns around and announces that Reliance is acquiring 6.3% of Walt Disney Productions, 34.6 million shares. And then uh, within a week's time, he said, oh, by the way, did I say 6.3? I meant 7.3. And then a week after that, oh, 8.3. By the end of April, Reliance is telling the Federal Trade Commission, as well as the Justice Department, by the way, we intend to acquire 25% of Walt Disney Productions' outstanding shares. Disney's board of director kind of freaks out about this. They put out a statement to the effect of what Reliance Financial Services Corporation is attempting to do here is not in the best interest of Disney shareholders. So what Disney's saying at this point mm -hmm. is they're going to buy us and split us up. Yeah. Which might be great for sort of short-term mm -hmm. earnings and for, for these guys. 
but not in the best long-term interest, you know, 10, 20 years down the road for shareholders. Okay, fair enough. That's it, exactly. But the thing is that do the shareholders listen? No, because by May 1st, uh, Reliance reveals that they now have 12.1% of outstanding Disney shares. They're almost halfway to their 25% goal. And the news just keeps getting worse for Disney because the Federal Trade Commission and the Justice Department weighs in and says, okay, Reliance, all right, we'll let you acquire 25% of Disney. Let's see what happens here. Three days after that announcement, Reliance says, yes, if we get our 25%, we are going to seek control of Walt Disney Productions. They also reveal that when they do that, one of the first things they're going to do is oust the current board of directors who they say have been fiscally irresponsible. And the interesting Mm. thing, Len, is one of the key examples they cite is Epcot. They point to that when Cardwalker first announced Epcot, the theme park, uh, back in May of 1974, at full build-out, it was supposed to be $600 million. But evidently, Reliance had somebody on the inside at Disney who got them the financial breakdown for Phase 1, Phase one hasn't been completed yet, Len. Uh, the Living Seas won't actually open until January of 1986. And the papers that Reliance is waving around to Wall Street shows that Epcot cost $1.9 billion. So it's... Holy cow. Three times it's... Um, and that's $1.9 billion in 1982 money? Oh, Len, we are within spitting distance of 500 billion dollars all right hold on so 1.1.9 billion is that what it was 1.9 billion oh it actually the bureau of labor statistics inflation calculator won't let me use a number that big (laughs) so hold on one second (laughs) jim this is not a good sign yeah all right so it's uh 4.8 billion dollars now yeah holy cow yeah i mean it was the for some time the greatest uh, theme park in the entire world so all right fair enough Okay, so you know what happens in these green mail situations, Lane. Yeah, but it's protection money. Yeah, and so, so what you do to try to scare off green mailers is you make big purchases. You take on debt. And so May 17, 1984, they agreed to buy the Arvida Corporation, a real estate development company in Florida owned by the Bass Brothers of Texas. And Disney does this, uh, acquires Arvita for $200 million, but does it by issuing a new block of stock. And so it's kind of a one-two punch. They take on this big chunk of debt, and because of these new shares that are being issued, they dilute the value of the shares that Reliance has taken on. And, uh, okay. and then first week of June, Disney turns around and announced that it's buying the Gibson Greeting Card Company. You've mentioned this before. This is the most bizarre purchase I think Disney's ever made. No, I take that back. Go.com. But okay. <laughs> second strangest, second strangest well, purchase. Well, you see, the, 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 no, you're not wrong. When you, you factor in the price they were going to pay, $337 million. How is the Gibson Greeting Company of Cincinnati, Ohio? Mm-hmm worth 50% more than a real estate company in Texas. The way Disney tried to sell this to shareholders was we could sell Disney greeting uh, characters with Disney greeting or characters on them. Uh, We can sell party plates and banners and a dollar a card. You're going to get that $300 million back like that. Yeah. I mean, that's where licensing comes in. Why would you need to buy like all the manufacturing equipment and the people and stuff like that when you could just... I mean, I understand why they did it in the context of the Reliance mm-hmm. financial thing, but you got to you got to think that 
what they, they did this what June sixth. Mm-hmm. The previous month is when uh, Steinberg had been you know start a couple months ago. Uh, Steinberg had been starting this. You would have thought that ninety days prior to this. Mm-hmm. Half the people or three quarters of the people in Disney's management team had never heard of the Gibson Green no, Company of Cincinnati, Ohio. We will get to that in just a sec because you are not oh, wrong. Okay. Right. You are not wrong. <laughs> we're buying the what? <laughs> we're, we're buying the what? For how much? <laughs> Inside of like four weeks, we have Disney taking on a half billion dollars worth of debt, which they hoped would scare off Steinberg. But the opposite happened. Uh, June 8th, uh, Reliance announces that it is offering... $67.50 for a share of, of Disney stock to anyone who wants to sell it to them. And you got to understand, Land, this is when individual shares of the Disney stock were selling for $47.50. So they were literally offering a $20 premium on every share. And then to, to sort of nail home the point, they announced that to recover that extra $20 they were going to pay per share, they were going to sell off certain divisions of the Walt Disney Company that were underperforming once they completed their acquisition. For Disney's board of directors, this was the last straw. So June 11th, just three days after uh, Reliance announces their $67.5 share tender offer, the board not only agrees to buy back every single share of stock that Reliance Financial Corporation has acquired, and they, they make them a $297 million offer, which is actually $31 million more than the shares were worth. Just to, all right, mm. you know, here's your profit. And they throw in an additional $28 million, which is basically to compensate Reliance for all of the time and effort it took to acquire this Disney stock. So they paid them $60 million basically to go away. All right, here's your fee. Go and just in case you're wondering again, if we're doing the inflation calculator here, that's 147 and 219 uh, dollars. Wow. Okay. But at this point, okay. So Disney is all right. Cool. You know, it's it was expensive, but we did it. We we made the green mailers go away. And but literally that same month, Irwin Jacobs, another infamous green mailer, buys six percent of the outstanding shares of Walt Disney Company, and to further muddy the water. Roy Disney, who, again, left the company in March in disgust, announces that through his private equity company, uh, he tells the Security Exchange Commission that he's acquired 5.2% of Disney's outstanding shares. And this news causes Disney's stock price to drop to $46 a share. The thing that finally made Wall Street say, oh, come on. Mike Bagnall, who at that time was the Mouse uh, Mouse House's chief financial officer, he -hmm. reveals, oh, by the way, we're going to spend not much more than $100 to finish phase one of Epcot. We've got a few more things we need to do. Another $100 million? Oh, my God. So, again, in in 2019 dollars, roughly $250 million. There you go. There you go. Wall Street's standing outside of this thing. And he said, that's the project you announced for $600 million. With this not much more than $100 million, you're now over $2 billion. And <laughs> this is, you're pouring money into a park that hasn't met a, uh, you know, a financial projection or attendance projection in the past 18 months. The other thing to note here is if you look at the, uh, the New York Times reporting of, the, um, of these transactions, mm-hmm. they note that Disney doesn't have more than $100 million in cash on no, hand. No, no. In the middle of all this, Len... I want to say in March or April or that sort of thing, they got their credit, the company's credit line 
they reached out and got it changed from $300 million to $1.2 billion. That's where they got the money for the Gibsons acquisition, and that's where they got the money for the Arvita acquisition. And so it's like they have loaded themselves up with ridiculous debt. They made this giant payment to Saul Steinberg to go away. All they have now is more debt. They haven't had a hit film in years. They have a theme park that's underperforming. This is why at this exact moment, Wall Street starts talking about, you know, it's time for a change in management at Disney. You guys can't keep doing this. We love the name. We love the company. But, you know, you're not doing smart things with this. Summer of 84, this is when Disney reaches out to Michael Eisner. And by September of uh, 1984, he's the new head of the new chairman and CEO of Walt Disney. The Bass Brothers, they personally took care of of Erwin Jacobs, the gentleman who had bought 6% of the Disney stock. They turned around and said, what's it going to take for you to go away? And they bought all of the shares that he had for $61 a share. And they wound up as the largest individual shareholders in the Walt Disney Company. At at one point, they had 24.8% of of all of Disney. Wow. As soon as Eisner comes through the door, the Bass Brothers insist on a sit-down. So he flies down to Texas, and their first conversation with them is, you have to fix Epcot ASAP. This has to change. People have tried this park. They have found it wanting. It has bad word of mouth. You have to figure out how to get people to come back. And so when you and I next record a new show, Len, we will talk about how Michael Eisner mapped out a more commercially viable future, the future world, which leads to kind of where we are today. All right. So a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. Disney doesn't own Gibson Greetings Now. By August of 1984, there had been such an uproar that Disney had to back out of the the purchase of Gibson. Oh, so they, so they didn't end up buying it? No. Wall Street, uh, okay. it was just like, this makes no sense. You, you made this deal when you were panicked and scared, and this yeah, is a bad but, fit. But now you don't have to be panicked or scared, so don't, don't do yeah, it. Yeah, you need to reduce your debt load, because this is, again, right. $337 million for something that just doesn't fit or make sense. Okay, so that was in 1984 dollars, $337 million. Yep. 15 years later, mm-hmm. Gibson got bought out by American Greeting, mm-hmm. American Greeting Card, for half that amount of money. Really? <laughs> yeah, $162 million. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Okay, well. So Disney uh, acquired the Arvita, right? Did they eventually spin them off? Arvita came through the door, and the whole notion of these are the folks who are going to help us develop Walt Disney World. They're going to help us, you know, put a residential community in. They're going to help us do condos. And it, yeah. it immediately became obvious that it wasn't a great fit. What's fascinating, though, is if you get the annual reports for 85, 86. Oh, yeah. I mean, is making $100 million for them per year. Yeah. Yeah. But but then it was just sort of like, I don't know if we want, you know, to become the condo vacation kingdom, which was which is ironic when you think about that, you know, what is it, 10 years later, we, we see the Disney Vacation Club, you know, come climbing out of the ground. But it was one of these things where it's like, yeah, that's not a good fit, but let's figure out a way to do this that doesn't insult the Bass Brothers. You know, that, that in fact, to, to say a lot for Sid and Lee, they got why yeah. Disney had to distance themselves from Arvita. And I think they actually got two paydays out of it. Did, did they really? Yeah. You know, just sort of like, well, okay, you know, if you're going to sell it off, oh, and we get a chunk of that too. Hey, you know, so. 
Well, the, the funny thing is, is we know that by 2002, mm-hmm. Arvita and Disney are no longer together, right? So sometime in the intervening 17 years, they separate. But eventually they partner again on a huge development, which is what we know now of as Celebration Florida, yeah. right? Arvita was the developer mm-hmm. for Celebration, and that was a $320 million deal. It led from your own personal experience. Yeah, it didn't, parts <laughs> of it didn't end up well, but again, a whole other... <laughs> Whom, whom among us, Jim, whom among us has, has not got an email on a Monday night saying, by the way, your apartment's been condemned? Yeah. <laughs> whom among us has not got that email? By the way, got to fly to Florida tomorrow. Yeah. Got a new place to live. Oh, did I mention there's a hurricane coming? <sighs> Listeners, if you haven't heard this story, let me know and I, I will tell you all about oh, it. <laughs> God. That's the irony. I mean, they, they initially said, maybe we don't want to, but but finally when so- It was like, hey, we're going to need to do some some work in your apartment. Yeah. Might be for a day. Yeah. I hope there's no inconvenience. Within a week, it was like, oh my God, you need to run. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. That's going to do it for, uh, for the Disney Dish today. For more of us, head on over to Disney Dish. Bandcamp.com. Have I have I ever told that story on the show? I, I don't think. I, I mean, not in all, all of its glory. No, okay, but yeah, right. yeah, we should definitely carve out some time because that that that. All right, you all know, right. We'll it, it. It. If the listeners are interested, I'll tell them the story of my condemned apartment in, in Celebration Florida. <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, don't forget though. Head on over to uh, DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. We are produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who reminds you to unplug from the internet for a little bit each day to go outside and to realize there's a bunch of crazy people out there too. Don't forget to go into iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.